Hey everybody, uh, Risto here with George Mason University. Uh, we're putting out a special bonus episode this week. Um, this is the audio recording of a really cool meeting that we had. We put together over 150 physical education, teacher education faculty on a call. We discussed a lot of the issues that are uh, really important right now in teacher education, uh, research, student teaching, so on and so forth. Um, so I won't do too long of an introduction here. It's a pretty long podcast um, because the meeting was an hour and a half, but I think it's a lot of great information and this is the way that we're getting the audio out to those people who were not able to be there in person. So um, hope you enjoy. To connect and collaborate as we navigate many of the same challenges associated with being a higher education faculty member during this global pandemic. We do not claim to have all of the answers or the most amazing ideas. In fact, that was really our impetus for creating this space. We wanna connect with you and learn from you um, and with you during these uncertain times. Um, so to get to our session outline, um, really our um, intent for the meeting today is for us to come together and collaborate. Um, if any of you are like me, um, I'm feeling somewhat overwhelmed and very busy, um, unsure of the future and different things. And so we really just wanted to come together and have a space to share some ideas. Um, but really for me, for those of you that know me, I'm a very social person. It's really just a time for us to connect and collaborate um, and to know that we are not in this alone, that we are in this together. I feel like our K through 12 colleagues, um, sometimes do this connection and collaboration a little bit better than we do in higher education. And so this can potentially be a space for us to um, continue to look at ways to collaborate well into the future. We have several different topics that we're going to go over today um, and different um, co-hosts who will be jumping in to lead those sections. What that's really going to look like is the co-host will um, introduce the topic so a few ideas about that, and then there'll be a space for us to connect and collaborate. That's where you can enable some of the features that Kaysen mentioned around raising your hand. Um, it's going to be really challenging for us to moderate the entire chat with right now 138 participants on the call. Um, so please do use that raise of your hand feature and I'll do my best to um, get to you in a timely fashion. If you do um, get called upon by a moderator, please be mindful that there are 138 people on this call and be constructive and concise um, in your comments and so that we can get to as many people as we possibly can. So with that said, um, I would like to throw it over to Emily Jones, um, who is going to talk to us about how PEAT faculty members can continue to support and connect with one another and undergraduate students um, during this time. So Emily. Great. Thank you, every, uh, Jamie, and welcome everyone. It's a pleasure to be with you today virtually. Uh, my name is Emily Jones. I'm an associate professor at Illinois State University. Um, and one of the things that has become most evident to me across the last several months and particularly um, now in our COVID-19 pandemic is just how different everyone is able to manage and handle and process the things that are happening in their lives. Um, it kind of goes without saying that everyone's functioning in a new space, a new place, 
um, a new phase of life. And that goes um, true, rings true for us as faculty members and also the students who are working with undergraduate and graduate. Um, I've learned more and more about my students, how they're managing full course loads of online learning that they hadn't signed up for or hadn't anticipated taking. Many of them have um, experienced loss in their life, either because of income, um, families own restaurants, and now they are down in income, perhaps. Um, family members have been furloughed or let, let off. Um, our students are taking up uh, essential jobs, like at grocery stores, so that we can um, go to the grocery store and get all the needs that we have met. Some of them, our non-traditional students, are living with young children or with siblings or with parents who had long ago changed their bedrooms into something else. Um, and even still, we have some students who are not functioning with fully uh, reliable internet and using significant amount of data on their phones to manage the videos that we're having them watch or upload materials. Um, in addition, we as faculty are going in and out of emotions such as fear and anxiety, um, concern about our own um, well-being and those around us. There's so much that we are managing. And I've been so pleased to see um, people present um, articles and insights that uh, online teaching is hard in and of itself, but delivering remote instruction in this emergency crisis while managing all of these emotional um, constraints and challenges has been hard. So one of the topics we thought we would kick off with here is this concept of care and relationship and continual um, acknowledgement of those challenges that uh, we are experiencing and allowing ourselves to be a little bit vulnerable and open to that, as well as being mindful of how our students are experiencing education differently now. So I'm going to kind of open it to our group here and I want you to think about um, for a moment and then raise your hand if you have a comment is how has your concept or understanding of your students, your colleagues, in their particular needs changed across the last four to six weeks? Um, one, some of the examples that I provided is what's come to the most forefront for me. And I'd just like to hear a couple examples, perhaps, if maybe these realizations of this new norm for you, your colleagues, or your students um, have become more evident for you. Emily, before we get to some folks raising their hands, I just want to say thank you so much for introducing that. And from my standpoint, I am lucky enough, I've taught online before. It's part of my teaching um, load is to teach some of my classes online. And for those classes, I had, you know, three to six months of prep time to get those classes online. And so a phrase I've been sort of using as far as um, thinking about having some grace for ourselves is that we are not technically online teaching right now. Um, we are teaching during a global pandemic and those two things may look very differently. Um, and so just to kind of keep that in mind as we sort of open this up to discussion, um, from folks, um, particularly those of you that have had some experience with teaching online that might be finding this um, a little bit easier of a transition. So we want to just open it up if anyone um, wants to raise their hand and then um, we can have you jump in with, um, if you want to give the prompt one more time, Emily. Yeah, thanks. I'm just curious how across the last six weeks or so, um, your understanding or how you recognize the need to care for and support your students 
or perhaps your colleagues has changed or evolved since this has occurred? Okay. Um, I have, uh, I think it's, it might be Megan Atkins. So, um, Atkins MM, go ahead and please unmute yourself. Hello, everybody from the great state of Nebraska. How are you, Jamie? Good, thanks. How are you? Good. Thank you very much for putting this all together. I just tweeted it out, so hopefully more higher ed people will be um, joining. I think the, the biggest part in Nebraska, we were one of the last people to kind of have a lot of things happening to us. Um, I think it kind of started out on the East Coast and then kind of moved in. So we actually had a little bit more time to prep before uh, we got told we couldn't go onto campus and things that way. Um, but kind of to answer your question, I think the biggest part is to understand your students' needs first. And so I've been, I've, I've taught online before, but I keep it real with my students. We are not perfect and they need to understand that too. So I start off every Zoom with some upbeat song. Um, my song the other day was um, the happy song of just, you're just trying to break the monotony for them. Because just like everyone was talking online is that we're trying to build relationships and, and continue to um, have that educational piece. But at the same time, they aren't going to be educated if they're concerned about all the other entities that are happening in their lives. So that's one of the main things that I've been focusing on. And then the other part when I'm teaching, I, I like to do a lot of different creative things, but at the same time, keeping it simple right now. Um, they are overwhelmed. They, are, they have a lot more online activities, so they're, they're spending a lot more time on the computer than they're used to as well. Like you said, Jamie, they're not, they did not sign up for this, um, but at the same time, uh, allowing them to learn from the experience. So one of the activities I did was I know a lot of our alumni are not being utilized right now. Um, they're sitting at home doing a little bit for their schools. Um, and so I did a mentor match. And so my alumni and, and, alum and the current students are working together right now and getting great ideas together and having that collaboration via Zoom or FaceTime. So they're having some um, contact with practicing teachers, but just in a different context. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome, Megan. I think one of the, um, one of the pieces that you described there is really lined up with one of the theories that has been used in education is care theory. Um, Nell Noddings talks about different um, components of how we can care and how we care for our students and for others in dialogue uh, with one another and trying to understand situations and contexts to truly recognize how different situations um, beyond our own selves and what, what uh, the context is for other people. And that helps us to truly uh, reflect care that we have for our learners and those that mentor match is such a neat idea. Thank you for sharing that. Thanks, Emily. I'm going to go um, in order of how the hands were raised to Linda Davis Delano and then Jamie Gilbert and then Helena Bart, um, and then we'll see if we have more time in this section. And so Linda, if you wanna unmute yourself and contribute, that'd be great. Hi everyone, um, I'm Linda Davis Delano from Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts. And I've been working with 27 uh, physical education and health education student teachers who um, obviously are disappointed as seniors that they had to leave campus and go home the schools closed fairly early. Um, I think, you know, it's been at least three weeks. And uh, the, the good news is that um, this past Tuesday, we had a seminar with all 27 of them. We were able to 
successfully put them in nine breakout groups, three in a group. And that was really nice because they were able to all talk and share in the small groups. And, you know, part of um, what we've found is that they need that contact uh, with one another um, because they're, they're missing that, they're missing their friends and so forth and so on. And also they're able to share ideas on uh, remote teaching and learning and some of the activities they've come up with as they've worked together with their cooperating teachers. And uh, the other thing that I've done, um, because it's, it's not just the, the teacher candidates who need support or the student teachers, it's also all the supervisors. So I've been having once a week Zoom meetings. I just had one this morning where folks could check in, they can share what's going on in their schools and you know what the status is and all that kind of thing. And so it's been really, really helpful um, to use Zoom. And I have to say that everyone's um, not getting used to this, but <laughs> there's, a, there's a level of, um, I don't know, comfort or something. So, so folks seemed better this week than last week and the week before. Um, but everyone's still, you know, just dealing with the reality. But that's, that's what I wanted to share. Yeah, thank you, Linda. I think that's so nice because you're really confirming and affirming in those cooperating teachers and those student teachers, their value and how their experiences, kind of their experiencing loss um, and just recognizing that is so important for them. So thank you for that. Yeah, and actually one of our topics that we're gonna come to um, in a little while is around field experiences. And so we can touch on some of those issues again in a few minutes. Thank you for sharing that, Linda. Um, Jamie Gilbert, if you want to unmute yourself and jump in. Hi, everyone. I don't know if everyone can hear me now. I'm Jamie Gilbert from Athens State University. Um, we're in North Alabama, right outside of Huntsville. And one thing that we are known for is a very non-traditional student population. So many of our students are um, returning to school after some time off or um, they have previously been um, at a different school in the state. So we, we have a lot of non-traditionals. Um, something that I figured out really fast with myself is I'm a very schedule-oriented person, and I looked at the syllabus, and at first, I'm thinking, okay, let's just go. We're going to transition this all online. Um, and we do, luckily, have a strong online base at our university. So much of what we do during the semester anyway is linked to online. Um, so I actually gave students, I, I changed up the syllabus and I gave students an entire week to just master the technology because I'm thinking, how can I have students, you know, going on and doing practice teaching, which that can be something that I'll save for another response. Um, how can I have them, you know, practice teaching or explaining lesson, um, lesson plan protocol if they don't understand the technology? And I think sometimes that's a barrier um, for some students, especially the non-traditional population that we have, because we do have some students who are older than um, your traditional normal college age student. Um, so giving them a week to kind of master the technology, I think in hindsight is one of the best things I probably could have done for them. So just sort of breaking that week um, completely off the schedule and making it all about the technology um, seem to really help many of the students. We also have a really responsive help desk at our university mm -hmm. point where they're back to you in an instant. Um, so I think just from my standpoint, being able to sort of break away from my initial plans and totally reroute this 
final, not even the second half of the semester, but just being open to, to like, we have to make some changes here to make this work the best that we can for the students that we have. That's awesome, Jamie. That's a little bit like this concept of emotional intelligence, sort of anticipating what it is that our learners need um, and knowing who your learners are. And, and you, you described that really nicely. And I think some of us, um, you know, wish we would have had more time to, to model that degree of care for our students to give them a week. So it's really nice that you were able to do that. And it's just that responsiveness, that acknowledgement of a need, and then that response is so important to make sure students feel secure and safe in our spaces. Thank you. Great, thanks. We've got a couple more minutes and then we're gonna move on to another topic. And so Helena, if you wanna jump on and unmute yourself and um, give us your perspective. Hi everyone, I'm Helena from SUNY Cortland in New York. And this has been about two and a half, two to three weeks now that we're in quarantine. Um, I have kind of a, 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 the perspective on my hand is that I'm, I, I'm kind of helping techni technical support. Uh, so I'm, that's a, that became a big part of my new job. And I'm, I'm sure there's several of you who, who are, who probably have been called upon um, to support the faculty with tech support besides just Pete, <laughs> just Pete. We also have this other thing. So I have a Monday um, session where I, everybody comes in and asks any tech support. So the big thing in mind was to help our faculty who are teaching activity courses, for example, to get them on Blackboard. It was a huge, a huge thing and not to overload the tech people and then uh, to get that going on. So we started to talk and we knew that our students are, you know, obviously having a variety of issues. And so that's why I, we, I decided to do a survey to, and I put the questions in there. I put the survey, but it's only for Cortland EDU students. So then I put the, I copied the questions so that that should work. Um, but that was really good because we needed to hear from our students. Some of our students do not have Wi-Fi. They do not have laptops. Some of them are in the woods with eight people in a trailer. The stories that are coming in are, are pretty devastating. A lot of our students are in Long Island and New York City and are, have the virus or have family members with the virus uh, right now. So then we set up a presentation about the data and really trying to encourage our faculty to, to become flexible and how, how, do, how are we flexible in these times and how can technology help you to be flexible in these times. Um, made a little slideshow. I can share the, the results with you all if you'd like. Make, made a little slideshow on how I uh, sub submitted that to the faculty um, if, if anybody would like to. There are no names really in there, so I could definitely share those. And the tips that came with it to try to create some uniformity or um, structure because our students are coming from no online to having six classes all online and all those classes are using different formats different uh, um, you know different expectations some of our faculty are doing it through email and that gets buried and all those to try to kind of you know simplify things for students to help them out yeah helena those those are awesome resources and ideas thanks for sharing those in the group chat for everyone to see I think what it, one of the things that really stuck out to me across everyone's comments here is just this concept of, of consistency, care, and, and hope, really, that we can provide to our students that we're going to come through this, we're going to come out of it. It might look differently when we're, when we're done, 
Um, but I just would encourage you to continue to, to extend grace to your students, recognize that this is not normal, it's not going to stay this way, um, and to yourself, right? Make sure that you're taking time um, away from your screens and connecting with others in formats like this um, so that you can continue to be um, effective, empty cups can't pour out. So um, thank you for your conversations and your inputs. I think we're ready almost to transition. Yeah, thanks, Emily. And I just want a couple of housekeeping notes. So again, we are recording this um, so that we can share it with folks who weren't able to um, attend. And so we appreciate everyone's contributions. Um, and we are also going to um, collect any of the resources that are shared through this um, to share out and we'll make sure everyone knows um, where those are going to be found afterwards. Um, so if you are sharing things in the chat, um, hopefully you're doing so um, with the knowledge that those will be shared more widely um, so we can collaborate as a community. So thank you all so much for all of that. Um, so moving on, and um, I do think that uh, Linda brought this up a little bit in um, her comment, um, but Chad is going to jump in and talk to us a little bit about ways that we're addressing um, field and experiential um, classes, which I know is very relevant to me as I am teaching all methods classes this spring um, and the adjustments that have come with that. So um, again, Chad is going to introduce and then um, feel free to raise your hand if you have something to contribute um, throughout the discussion. And so we'll go to Chad first on this topic and then um, we'll start to take input from others. So Chad. Hey everyone, Chad Killian, Georgia State University in Atlanta. 157 people on this call. This is just an unbelievable display of community and, and I'm so happy to be with you all. Um, as Emily talked about, obviously our first, uh, our first point of care needs to be students and their needs. There are a lot of challenges obviously associated with this. Many of us are experiencing them personally. Um, but an extension of care, I think, is how we can support, continue to support students. So an extension of care uh, then uh, after we make sure that students' basic needs are taken care of and cared for and, and empathize with and um, is how we can continue to support their development as teachers. Um, so this session um, session can focus on creative ideas that you all are uh, applying to help overcome uh, some of the field experiences that no longer um, are structured and some of the more experiential learning um, courses um, as well. So I'm happy to open it up to the floor. Um, I, I saw in the chat box we had a couple people with ideas. Um, if you're willing to share, please come on. Um, and then at the end, I can share some things that we're doing at Georgia State briefly. Um, and maybe before we do that, I can share my screen and just show, because there was some chatter about um, resources. Um, the Google Doc, or uh, the Google Drive um, link that you see in the chat box, we can send out through um, email. But we have four folders. Building community and Pete. This is what you all see. If you're not familiar with Google Drive, this is what it'll look like. And we can begin to um, put field experience assignment ideas. If you have them and you're willing to share, um, I think we would all appreciate seeing the outline of some of these assignments, the rubrics that you're using and so forth. Um, and so those of you who share and those of you who might not have time to talk, you can feel free to upload those um, to the Google Drive after the chat. And so with that said, who has some creative ideas about how you're addressing field experiences? I, 
it, it looks like there are a few folks with their hands up. Um, it's 13 if, hours. If I'm seeing it right. Uh, Dominique uh, Banville looks like to be first in line if I'm reading it right. Yeah, we'll go um, Dominique and then Cindy um, and then Chelsea and we'll see where we're at for time. So Dominique, if you want to unmute yourself. Yep, thank you. Dominique here at uh, Georgia, George Mason University in Northern Virginia. Um, a few resources that we have uh, found very useful within the program, uh, if you're not aware, is Atlas, which is a video repository of uh, teachers teaching. Uh, and those videos were submitted for the National Board of Certification. And so those are good teachers and they have under their video, the, the physical education, they have, I believe, 34 videos and then they have videos also for health. Um, and the teachers do a, a presentation, like they have a, a write-up under the video where they present the context of the lesson, how, what they were thinking about, a self-analysis and a reflection on that video. So that, that could be, that's something that I'm using in my graduate class where uh, teachers were supposed to supervise one another and now this is not happening. Uh, so I've created an assignment where one will play the role of the supervisee and the other one will be the supervisor. Uh, another teaching resource that we have found um, useful is called the teaching channel. Now, this is something that we have gotten through the library, and I think that that requires a subscription for it. But this is something that maybe you can contact your library, your librarian, and see um, if you can have access to that. And those are shorter videos that will show classroom management or like uh, effective teaching uh, behaviors. Hope that helps. Yeah, so it sounds like there's a lot of uh, different uh, resources and links that, that people can visit to provide some more of the observational um, experiences that they might not be able to get by visiting the field. Um, does anybody else have suggested uh, resources that they could provide links to or, or videos um, of effective teaching? So Cindy, I think, had her hand up next, so we'll go to Cindy next. So Cindy, go ahead and unmute yourself. Hi, thanks. This is Cindy Kurash. I'm from UW-Madison in Wisconsin. And one of the problems we were having with student teaching was that the hours that students were supposed to um, complete for their student teaching supervision are being cut short just because they're not in front of actual students. So we've been partnering with the local Boys and Girls Club um, as they are trying to provide digital education for their, for their participants. Um, and we're finding that our students match very well in terms of the educational and um, health and wellness components that our Boys and Girls Clubs are trying to provide. So we're just matching them up and having students um, get creative about how they can provide those kinds of activities for Boys and Girls Clubs. And then we're counting those hours toward the student teaching uh, requirement hours as well. Great. Thank you for that input. Um, Chelsea, do you want to um, jump in and unmute yourself? Yeah, so uh, lots of cool things we're trying to do anyway. Um, so for my, my physical education student teacher right now, I have him creating like a Google Classroom to one, prepare himself in case that this ever happens again, and two, to also kind of use like that platform as a resource for providing uh, educational opportunities for the summer or winter breaks or any time where there's like a large span 
of like time where students really aren't um, getting activity or physical like education opportunities. The second thing that we're doing is, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Sim School, but Sim School, and I'll put the link in the chat box, they're offering a COVID-19 like uh, deal right now where they're not uh, having schools get the like license. The license itself is like $3,000, but instead they're offering it to all students for $3 a month. And what that does, it's they use AI and machine learning, and it's like a simulation, the school simulation in a classroom where the students have different personalities, just like you would if you were like working with real students, and they interact with the teacher in real time. So how the teacher displays the lesson, and the lesson is already templated in the module, so they just go through these different modules, but for physical education, there's lots of great um, modules that they can do. They have health modules coming out next week, but they could do like social, emotional climate stuff. There's a bias module. Um, and at the end of that, it reports all sorts of data on how they interacted with different um, genders of students, different um, races of students, different, and how the students um, even like learned throughout their lesson. So what was the learning maximum opportunity? So really just in a simulation kind of environment, at least provide students with data and will help them um, at least give some sort of like real-time response opportunities. That's one of the things that I really tried to find and struggle with because I think that's one of the key parts of learning um, or being a good teacher is having that real-time response. You can do so many video lessons, lecture lessons, but like without being able to respond to the, or the student and their needs in the moment, like you lose it. And so, or that's, you're not building those skills and that's where you get when you're student teaching. So, and they have a service set up where it actually counts for hours. So you can set up modules and it can, what programs have been doing is like using that as their uh, mock mile or like mock, um, hours that they need nice. for can you put that link in the chat box yeah, i think that's a cool oh, yeah. resource I, got and I saw a really important question that's probably on a lot of people's minds is if your students did not complete their ed tpas how are you addressing that so if anybody has ideas please come to the forefront yeah so i'll have um lv johnson jump in next and maybe if you have ideas about ed tpa if you can raise your hand and we'll come to you next. And so LV Johnson, if you want to unmute yourself and jump in, that'd be great. Hi, um, Lynn Johnson from Plymouth State in New Hampshire. Um, we, um, we've done some things with our, both our methods classes and our student teachers. The student teachers are actually doing the remote teaching for their um, mentor teachers. So whether it's Google Classroom or whatever, they're actually doing that um, interaction with the students. And then for our, our methods classes, we're having them work with their mentor teachers that they were supposed to work with and help them um, get resources and ideas for, um, for teaching remotely. So they're creating um, a packet of information weekly so that they can give the information to the teacher who tells them what kind of activities they're looking for. And so I think that's worked out well, obviously not the same. I love that sim school thing. Um, but um, giving them that experience that they may have in this environment. So um, just a couple ideas and um, I can't answer the ed TPA thing, but 
Um, I know we're working on trying to make it a little smaller and um, change some of the reflection questions, but New Hampshire has a little bit different um, system than that. So thank you. Thanks, Lynn. There's some great ideas. Brian Mosier raised his hand and hopefully has something on EdTPA. So Brian, do you want to jump in? Brian Mosier. <laughs> there we go. All right. Thank you all so much. Uh, so uh, we did have a student that uh, chose to do the, I believe they're calling it VLE, virtual learning environment, and uh, with EdTPA. And so we're in the state of Georgia. I'm at University of West Georgia. And Georgia, as a system, all 27 institutions, uh, we did get some directive. We are an EdTPA state. And so if students have opted not to complete EdTPA in the state of Georgia, which typically they're required to do, uh, then they will get a short term, they'll get a one year teaching certificate, and then they will have to submit EdTPA in their first year. It will be a temporary certificate. Whereas if students want to go ahead and complete EdTPA, got enough video to do that, then they would get their five years. So we did have a student uh, that chose to uh, get, I think it's uh, EdTPA does have some documents and I can share in the, uh, in the chat box, but EdTPA does have some documentation where I believe it's four students and uh, he actually had about 10. Uh, they had to sign off and he did a class through Zoom where he uh, taught a simple throwing and catching lesson, gave feedback, caught it in the chat. And so um, we're not allowed to see too much of it. So I'm, I'm really interested uh, when he turns in his final document, um, when we get that back and what that looks like and how he did this. But we do, I don't know if there's any other folks that have, have had students use the VLE option, but I would be really interested to see how they're doing it. And it looks like we're kind of end, ending this session right now uh, and ready to move on. But I think, I think this brings up a large point and maybe it's something in the future we could have another meeting about. Um, because it is kind of an important um, topic and one that I think different states probably have different challenges with. So thanks y'all for your, uh, your resources in the chat box. We can maybe aggregate those and put them up on the Google Drive um, and just keep thinking about how we can uh, address these issues moving forward. Thanks for your feedback, everyone. Awesome. Thanks, Chad. And thanks everybody for your incredibly important input. I think, you know, the, um, the real challenge for us navigating field placements and things, um, but then also thinking about for our students and the stress and anxiety that some of them are facing. They've worked four or more years um, to get to this student teaching um, place and to not be able to do some of those things, um, I'm sure has caused a lot of stress and anxiety for them as well. So being conscious of that. Um, okay, we are gonna move on um, to Jennifer Krause, who is going to talk to us about some online resources that are available to help us continue to teach effective PEAT courses. And I think actually what's exciting is that some of these have already come up in other discussions that we've had already today. Um, so Jen can offer some ideas and then um, if you can continue to use the chat as you've been doing to add in um, more information, um, but then um, folks can raise their hands if they've got some really great resources that they want to explain um, uh, to the group. So, Jen. Hi, everyone. I'm Jen Krause here uh, from the University of Northern Colorado. Um, I'm really excited, happy to see so many faces up to, well, currently at 150 coming and going. So, um, yeah, I'm just excited to talk about this. Um, so, 
interestingly, we, we met um, kind of as a group prior to this and we discussed how it seems like there are a lot of resources out there for K-12 physical education. Um, uh, so much that I'm a little bit overwhelmed with how much is out there for them. But we also talked about how we haven't seen very much out there um, for PEAT um, and supporting PEAT, um, you know, effective teaching strategies for PEAT. And so we just really kind of wanted to open it up and see what else you have seen out there or what you're using or how you're connecting. We've had a couple of good suggestions with Atlas. Um, the Sim School is a really cool idea. Um, but how else, what other resources are out there um, to help support you as PEAT faculty to continue your um, teaching in an effective way in this new environment? Um, for example, um, you know, there are some resources out there that I think do cross over um, the K-12 and with us as well. Um, I got an invitation just yesterday to join um, the home-based physical education summit um, put on by Connected PE. And there were a couple sessions in there that I could, I think that um, could be applicable to our community as well as K-12 teachers. Um, but, you know, ultimately I, I would like to see more. And so I guess I'd like to hear from you or we'd all like to hear you know, what resources have you been accessing or using or that you could share to help your teaching to continue to be effective in this new way? So, I'm going wow. to okay. jump in real quick before someone raised their hand. My name is Casey yeah, O'Neill again, East Tennessee. I just want to say really fast that to supplement ours, this is not supplementing. Uh, we have used and started signing some of the free online professional development at Connected PE. Um, they have stuff there on online PE development. We're using that more for to supplement hours in the field. They have some webinars and things that we're having our students reflect on those on just now, is that always the best? I'm not even an advocate for that website, but we found it to be a resource that our students have, have had decent feedback on. Thanks, Kaysen. This could even be, um, you know, tools that you're using, online tools that you're using to engage your students more. Um, I know, you know, moving from classes that are highly interactive to this new kind of online format can be challenging. So feel free to share tools or other resources that you're using. I think there are a couple of participants. Jamie, if you want to let us know. Yeah, so we've got a couple of hands up. We'll start with Jay Tracy at shepherd.edu and then um, uh, go back to Helena um, next. So Jay Tracy, if you want to, sorry, that's all it says. I don't know your actual name. Sorry, so yeah, it's Julia Tracy. Um, my colleague Rhonda's on too. We're from uh, Shepherd University in West Virginia in the Panhandle. And I actually am teaching an adapted class for the first time this semester. And I reached out to Andrea Talaferro from WVU and she gave me a really cool um, online sort of training uh, site. It's, I'll put it in the chat. It's Shenandoah Valley Inclusive Wellness Coalition and they have four modules on there that can help with um, addressing challenging behaviors, modifying instruction for inclusion, inclusiveness, planning inclusive programs and accessibility considerations. So I already assigned a couple of those to my adapted students. So I thought that was a really good resource. Awesome, thanks for sharing. Um, we'll go Helena and then um, 
Shelly and then Dylan. Hi everyone. Yeah, I just posted a link of an example of what I'm doing. So I teach a field experience class and I have some other classes in outdoor education and um, graduate classes. And I'm asking my students to create videos. So I give them, uh, they create lesson plans and then of their tasks of developmentally appropriate tasks, they create videos that are maximum uh, one minute and a half long. And then in Flipgrid, the cool thing is, is that you can, you can pick and choose the, the videos that, that are very good. And then I can share them because I'm currently, our students were supposed to teach the preschoolers. So we're currently created a Facebook site for the preschoolers and the parents to share their learning. And that, that, that platform I can, I can use to send them videos so our preschoolers can watch that and do PE at home. So the Flipgrid's been really good because in that one class, I have, over, I have over 120 teacher candidates in that one movement education class in five sections. So just imagine of having 120 teacher candidates each submitting up to 10 videos. It's gonna be great for me afterwards because I have all the tasks on posters and now they're all creating videos for these tasks, which is just going to be uh, great. So it's, I put an example on there. If anybody has any questions on how to do it, feel free to contact me and I'll let you know how it goes. Thanks. Yeah, before we jump to Shelly, I saw Sue Barn from Metropolitan State University mentioned, um, you know, accountability for a lot of the resources that are being posted. Um, and particularly, I think Jen mentioned all of the resources being posted for K-12, the HPE at home um, piece. And uh, one thing that I know one of our colleagues at University of Northern Colorado has been doing, um, rather than having their undergrads create new resources, because there are so many resources out there, he's actually having them um, evaluate the resources that are out there to see whether or not they're standards-based, they're using best practices, they're inclusive activities and those types of things. And so that's potentially another idea as a, an assignment for folks. Um, is to have your undergrads go through some of those resources that are being shared um, very widely um, to see. And because I think accountability is a huge piece with that. So thanks for bringing that up, Sue. Um, and thanks for, your, for sharing those things, Helena. I think that's really important. Um, Shelly, do you want to jump in next? And then we'll go to Dylan. No, I think I just, I just jumped in the, in the session. So I'm listening and I just hit the button wrong. Sorry about that. I'm listening. Well, we are glad you were here and we are glad you were listening. So thanks for being here with us, um, with everybody else. We have 150 people on right now. I think at one point we had 158. So this is just a really great um, show of our community coming together. So thanks everyone. Um, Dylan, do you want to jump in at this point? Well, I'm, not one. I'm not one for jumping, but I'll chat. Um, so uh, I want to agree with what you said, Jamie. Something that I'm having my students do is finding resources online themselves. But instead of critically evaluating them about how they align to the way physical education is currently taught, I'm asking them to think about how they would change this so it actually addresses social issues in society, especially the issues that we're dealing with right now. 
um, and the precarity that particular folks are, uh, are are under in comparison to others. And we sort of like, I have them from the first year to the third year now, and um, we draw on uh, Bergier's notion of capital and habitus in order to sort of analyze those things over the years. The second thing I wanted to talk about was um, we need to reach out to our international folks. If you haven't looked already, people in Australia have had these resources out there and at a much higher quality sometimes than what we've done, including myself. Um, so uh, I've looked at, you know, uh, Dawn Penny, um, uh, Laura Alfrey stuff, uh, Justin O'Connor stuff, and then in the UK, uh, Ash Casey and Vicky Goodyear and all of them. Um, my last sort of thought is it around is around the corporatization of this and I and I think that we really need to be careful before we have students purchase things and have and how we uh, promote particular uh, businesses over others because we have to recognize that there are people out there who are looking to profit and they are looking to fundamentally change uh, uh, physical education to um, represent a more capitalistic work sense. And when we drop in and say, oh, you should look at this or you should look at that, then we're also promoting um, a highly uh, conservative section of education. We need to be careful about what we promote and how we promote it without actually vetting it ourselves. Perfect, thanks, Dylan. I think some really um, uh, important thoughts for us to kind of consider as we navigate these times that are really unfamiliar for all of us and for our students. So thanks for sharing that. Um, Jen, do you want to jump in? Yeah, I was just going to say thank you all for sharing. Um, there have been several people in the chat adding other resources that they're using. Um, if you have anything that you can share, um, any, you know, any resources, um, ideas of how you're continuing to effectively teach, um, please add it to the chat and then we will add it to our um, Google folder. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks Jen and thanks everybody who contributed during that section. A couple other notes. Um, we will be repeating this at the end, but um, HPE at home has become a really um, common hashtag for the K through 12 world to be sharing some resources if your social media is your thing. And so we will be promoting um, a hashtag at home Pete. Um, Pete at home links to Pete Buttigieg things, which is wonderful, um, uh, and, but not necessarily what we're looking for um, as Pete faculty. So uh, we've sw swapped it around to hashtag at home Pete rather than Pete at home. <laughs> um, if you want to see Pete Buttigieg doing things at home, by all means, follow the Pete at home hashtag. Um, so I also wanted to take this time to uh, acknowledge our colleagues in Canada. So um, both Risto and Chad had actually kind of gotten this idea um, for um, bringing us together as a community like this based off of the folks at PHE Canada who did something very similar last week um, and had over 100 folks across Canada um, and I think um, internationally on their call as well. So we just wanted to make sure that we acknowledged um, them and their work as sort of the, the um, impetus for us all getting together in this manner. Um, so I want to throw it over to um, Kevin Richards now, who is going to talk to us a little bit about um, COVID-19 and how it's impacting uh, research enterprise and physical education now and into the future. Um, and then after that, we will have um, some summary and closing points. We have about 20-ish minutes left on the, 
on in the meeting. So, uh, Kevin, if you want to jump in. Yeah, uh, thank you very much um, uh, for that, uh, Jamie. Uh, and, and as we've kind of talked about so far to this point, I think we strategically put the conversation about research or some of the other roles and responsibilities that we have as Pete faculty members towards the end of our time together because our most immediate concern is and should be the students and the classes that we're teaching right now and how we can meet their needs moving into the future. Um, but with that said, we also recognize that many of us in, in higher education have research responsibilities and or supervise undergraduate masters or doctoral students who are engaging in research, uh, sometimes for credit. And so navigating those types of challenges, I, I think, um, are, are also things that have been on some of our minds. Um, not only how that impacts us immediately right now, like interruptions with data collection, et cetera, but for the, the potential for this to have kind of reverberate, reverberating effects into the future uh, as perhaps journal backlogs get increased, as people are, have less time to be able to serve in review capacities, um, th those types of things. And so I, I thought it might be kind of a nice way to kind of move towards closing the session just to see if, if anybody had any thoughts about, you know, how your research has been affected by this and how, uh, what kind of steps that, that you're taking um, uh, to keep things going or if you've just decided to kind of put things on hold right now. Um, so just like we have been doing, go ahead and, uh, and raise a hand if you've got uh, a comment, but just to kind of get the ball rolling for on our end here at the University of Illinois, we've got uh, you know several graduate students who are in the midst of research projects or ha who had projects planned coming up later uh, going into the summer. Um, and we've had to make some significant changes. Um, sometimes we've been able to find alternatives. We're doing some professional development right now with a, a group of teachers in local schools and that had been done face to face. Um, but we've uh, since uh, after talking with those teachers verifying that they still wanted to stay involved and, and to keep going forward. We gave them that option. Um, we're, we're holding those sessions virtually right now instead. Um, but some of our other projects have, have come up against bigger snags. So I see Adkins MM um, raised raise the hand if you just want to uh, unmute yourself and we can get started. Yeah, so we'll Hello, um, Megan Adkins uh, from the University of Nebraska Kearney. Uh, one of the things that is happening actually this next coming actually two weeks is we are having a virtual online uh, research week at our university and so we use the platform canvas and so normally our students have poster sessions of undergrad and graduate research that they had completed and so our uh, research office created a canvas site and so all the students are doing um, three minute videos and then posting their poster up and, and it's kind of like a traditional poster session. And so it's been great in theory, but at the same time, it's, it's put a lot of burden on the students as well as the faculty members because it, it does have those additional steps that are technology-based um, that some students, as we've talked about in our conversations here, don't have. And so I think it's a great idea. I think that there are gonna be some great um, research activities happening and promotion of them, but at the same time, again, just kind of going back to the student first of what their needs are. Um, us, per, me personally, a lot of my stuff had to be put on hold until the fall, um, just because I do a lot of experiential activities with homeschool populations and, and I need actual physical people. Um, and again, back to where we started, um, I've been trying to service my, my students first and then move into the research activities, um, because I think right now it's priority and just making sure that they're they're willing to be um, part of our university again next fall. I mean, it is a huge concern for our university about enrollment. And so we have to kind of think of those things first and foremost as we continue on. But I do also think that there's a variety of different 
um, opportunities within research because of COVID-19 and how our students are, are dealing with some of those aspects. And um, I'm interested, if anyone is interested in any kind of research, um, call me or text me or email me. Thanks. Yeah, and that's potentially kind of another cool consequence of what we're doing here is we have the opportunity to kind of connect in those ways and think about uh, collaborative efforts. But I, I think you brought up a really good point, and I think that that's why organizations like AERA, who had originally said that they were going to have um, an online meeting, have, have since uh, canceled those meetings and are looking towards other formats. Um, so Jamie just unmuted. I think she was going to say something. Then uh, Chelsea yeah. Short and Colin Webster. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say, too, I was so, um, on a personal note, my PhD student um, finished collecting his field-based data for his dissertation um, the Thursday before closures started on the Friday. Um, and so that was like, we got in just under the wire. And um, part of me was thinking, you know, yes, for us as faculty, and I know there's some PhD students on this call. And so my mind immediately went to them and those folks who are trying to complete their dissertations and whatnot, and, and what um, what graces uh, PhD committees and things are allowing to happen. I anticipate in the coming years, there'll be a lot of asterisks on um, different projects and things around um, this idea of COVID-19. So we have four hands raised right now. So I'm gonna go to Chelsea first, Chelsea Short, and then Colin Webster, and then Mara, and then Aaron Santeo. So uh, Chelsea, if you wanna unmute yourself and jump in. Yeah, um, Chelsea here again from Northern State University in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Um, I We had an undergraduate research project that was grant funded that was started off this summer or this, this spring. But um, unfortunately, yeah, we had to cancel or we had to close out that and we're going to redo it again in the fall, but have a different lens because what our variables were, were relative to the new year. It was a New Year's resolution kind of thing. So um, we're still kind of trying to work that or that uh, program in. And we have enough to like use correlation uh, data at least. And then um, I had an intern that lost her entire internship because of the um, NCAA canceling the summer or the spring season. And she took that opportunity to, um, she's now going to piece together a survey um, research project where she wants to panel the softball because she's a softball athlete. So she wants to panel um, the thoughts and feelings and experiences of this, this unique opportunity and, um, or unique event in their lives and in her life. And um, so we're going to try to gather information about that and put together a research or like a report for um, her internship. And that was, that's been very motivational for her. She's, she's really bought into that. And um, I think it'll be also be very informational to see really what the perspectives of uh, athletes are right now. Well, thanks so much for that, uh, Chelsea. Colin, do you want to jump in? Sure, thank you for the opportunity. Uh, I think this is a really incredible idea and I uh, appreciate everyone who's organized this and everyone who's participating. Uh, Colin Webster, University of South Carolina. And um, just three, three points. One um, is if you have any available, if you'd be thinking about taking advantage of any large, you know, open access kinds of data sets or if there may be data sets that are relatively new to work with um, faculty and staff in your colleges or schools to um, to see if uh, you know getting getting access to those data sets could be expedited, and of course, if if possible, getting graduate students to help with that um, process to expedite 
access to those data sets, especially people who may not have work, who not ordinarily would be working in some capacity, and that may be a way to continue to pay students. Um, the other thing, of course, is for me, um, you know, the, the focus on graduating doctoral students is paramount right now. Our own research is always important, but for people who are, you know, um, trying to finish degrees and hopefully maintaining the integrity of that degree completion process, but also looking for flexibility to collect data in particular, um, where that seems to be the biggest challenge is, you know, people are working in schools and communities to try to do that, and now they don't have access to those sites. Um, so I'll tell you um, just one thing we've done with with a doctoral student that I'm advising uh, without losing the focus of the dissertation, we're now entertaining the idea we were going to start with doing one systematic review leading to two additional school-based studies based on the results of that review. Now the second study will end up being a second systematic review that focuses on secondary outcomes that were going to be measured as part of that school-based study. So we had some flexibility there. The committee, of course, is, is uh, happy to look for alternatives because we want to see people be successful in the program and graduate. Um, and then the third study is still up in the air because we could maybe be back in schools in the fall or maybe not. And uh, so if we're back in, we'll be able to continue with some form of a school-based intervention. But in the event that we do not return to schools, we don't have access to the school environment, um, we'll still do the same kind of study except with a home uh, focus and uh, be able to accomplish really answering the same overall research questions but with a different setting. So this is really for a lot of the people that I speak with in the um, world of comprehensive school physical activity programs, uh, you know, an opportunity for us to begin to leverage our understanding of what works and what the context looks like in, in terms of promoting physical activity through um, the family environment, and the home environment. And uh, it turns out, of course, there's actually very little research on that comparatively when you look at the rest of that CSPAP model. So we were trying to see this in an opportunistic way um, and looking for opportunities to really uh, learn more about the family environment, both in terms of what's happening now and what we could do to improve that environment to promote what we want to do with physical education and with physical activity promotion. Yeah, and, and Colin, what I really liked about what, what you said, and I think uh, Ch Chelsea as well, is that you you both found ways to kind of use this to do something different, something meaningful, responsive, impactful, but maybe a little bit different than what you were what you were you what you were originally looking at, and that that signals how these types of things can be uh, opportunities uh, as well as um, you know challenges for us to navigate through. Um, I, I think we have a, enough time for at least one more person. Uh, we can probably do Mara and then Aaron and then okay. we'll move on. Mm -hmm. Okay, so Mara and then Aaron after that. Hi, everybody. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about scholarship because mine is basically at a complete standstill, not because of my lack of access, but because of my lack of time. And so there's many of us, right, who are caring for children, caring for grownups, caring for others, things like grocery store trips take double the amount of time because I have to wait outside. They're only letting a certain number of people in. So there's all these disruptors to our lives. And as much as I'd love to make scholarship my top priority, like I can't. And so 
then I see in the comments people are bringing up like there's a freeze or there's you know extension and this is one option but I don't personally think that it's a good one and so I'm encouraging everybody to you know particularly if you're a senior faculty if you're in a leadership position to push back on this idea a little bit because it ultimately like holds those of us who are pre-tenure back right if I have to wait another year for tenure and promotion that's you know a salary adjustment that I'm missing out on um, and things of that nature. So it really, to me, needs to be about adjusting expectations for this time period in what we are able to quote unquote produce in terms of scholarship. So I just really wanted to make sure you know I've been thinking a lot about like what am I able to do in this time when I have virtually no childcare and, you know, several of us in here are at this point where it's like, you know, I get three hours of working time a day. And so, you know, if you're in a position to be evaluating faculties, TNP evaluation, you know, um, applications, it needs to not be like, well, you can just take an extra year. It needs to be like, this is what you did during this time and it was great. That was enough. Yeah, thanks, Mara. I think that's so important. And I think um, I find anyway, what I'm seeing coming out of the university, everything is really super responsive at the moment without a lot of you know things that usually take months and months and months to go through faculty senate are being pushed out as we talk about parenting. There's a wonderful guest there. Um, so beautiful, that looks great. Um, so I think that's a real big piece is this idea of responsiveness. And you know, I wanna believe that folks um, in administration and in positions of leadership are doing the best that they can right now and trying to make these decisions um, with the faculty in mind. And so I appreciate your, your comment and that sentiment of you know, um, finding ways that we can continue to support um, particularly pre-tenured faculty. Um, and, you know, and I think back to the points that Colin was making and myself earlier, grad students as well. Um, so thank you for sharing that. Um, Aaron Centeo, not Aaron Beagley, don't worry, Aaron. Um, it wasn't you that raised your hand, Aaron Beagley, it was Aaron Centeo. So if you wanna jump in, Aaron, that'd be great. Yeah, hi everybody. Um, so this is probably a little bit off topic now, Mara, I definitely, um, feel you, uh, have the little kids at home as well. So um, it's, it's for sure a struggle. I wanted to kind of go back to the research conversation and just ideas that people are doing with research, kind of what's going on. Um, I work with an inclusive physical activity program, after school program right now. And, you know, at first we were forced to cancel and our parents were really um, sad about that. Even with everything going on, they you know, they, their kids really look forward to the programming. And so um, one of the things that we did was we start tried to think outside the box. And so our undergraduate students work with that program and they have essentially um, been assigned. I don't know if it's willingly, but they, they did it and it, it has turned out amazing. They've been doing individual um, videos to their athletes that were in the after school program. And so thinking about this research wise and how like obviously we don't have accelerometers on the kids, um, but trying to capture that data in a different way and just being open minded as researchers like how we can um, tweak this study essentially moving forward and how as Colin was saying it really is 
this just different venue and how we can kind of capture that data and look at it. Now, we might get smashed for ground truthing or fidelity on our uh, papers that we submit, but um, definitely I think keeping the kids in mind and for us, it was more about serving the community and really getting those opportunities and those kids to have that contact with their coaches because they were devastated not being able to say goodbye to them because it all happened very suddenly. So anyway, just an idea out there for all of you. Thanks. Kevin, do you have any closing thoughts about the research part? Yeah, just just briefly, I, th I think that, um, you know, Mara's comments and, and uh, uh, folks, uh, who, who have expressed similar concerns uh, have some very valid arguments, and, and uh, you know I'm in a position right now to be transparent where I where I don't have uh, any children, um, but I have a lot of colleagues and friends and collaborators who do, uh, and this is definitely a time where our um, you know our focus uh, is being redirected, and, and, and it should be. Um, uh, with that said, though, I think that some of the ideas that have come up here related to either using existing data sets, uh, if we have grad students who are moving along with projects and need to stay um, advancing, or if we're looking uh, for, for ways to kind of keep our own scholarship limping along during this time, I think looking at that existing data and then also kind of brainstorming some ideas for how we might be able to, to study the impact of this and the outcomes, you know, the, the field of physical education may in, in some fundamental ways uh, be impacted by this uh, moving forward into the future and and thinking about that proactively through a, a research lens might serve the field well. Great. Thanks so much, Kevin. I know um, Peter Sopker just put into the comments there, anyone else who might have devices out in the field. Um, so I believe that he and his colleagues have, uh, you know, a hundred or so Fitbits out in the field right now and how to think about getting those back. Um, so if anyone has any suggestions for Peter, add that into the chat. Um, the chat box there. So um, thank you all so much. I think um, I know this has been for me really great to just, you know, connect with the community and see what everyone is doing. And so I'm going to throw it over um, to Risto, who's going to kind of um, summarize some of the key points that we talked about today um, before we close the session. Yeah, so uh, Risto Martin and George Mason University and um, I'm really impressed with everybody that showed up. I think we capped off at about uh, 151 was our was our peak. So and that was that was our goal. Uh, we didn't want to come in here and give our opinions. We wanted to create a, a space for everybody to share. And I think that um, we did get a lot done. Um, I think we had a lot of uh, questions up there. We will uh, post the audio of this on our podcast. I can link to that. Um, I'll be writing a, a blog where I'm kind of putting all of these together in hyperlinks um, uh, so you can revisit that. But I would suggest that you, uh, you do go onto the Google Drive. I'll repost that at the bottom of the, uh, of the chat box. Um, because if, you, if we really want to share our resources, that's a way for us to get connected. Um, you can place your email on those documents that you're going to put up if you want to talk to other people. So, for instance, if I'm teaching an elementary methods class and I want to talk to other people teaching elementary methods to figure out how they're doing it, then uh, we can create uh, smaller groups. Um, I think as a, as a first conversation with 150 people on, uh, we did a great job, but there are a lot of things that didn't come up. Um, there's a lot of things that didn't get adequate coverage that I think could be a 45 to hour long session on its own 
um, the things that Mara brought up earlier, um, you know, in the chat box about the vast differences in faculty who have kids and who don't, who are taking care of, um, you know, older adults or parents. You know, those are those are very different situations that a lot of us are in, and I think that building this community is really really important. Um, to kind of just connect with other people, bounce off some ideas, and just honestly, just having a support group. Um, so there's a lot of issues and side conversations that could be full, um, full conversations the, about tech, the Sim School, Atlas, Teaching Channel. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, comments that I was watching on EdTPA in different states and how you're dealing with that. Saw that. California is talking to or reaching out to the governor to uh, make some decisions. So, um, so there's a lot of different states and different situations. Um, we are going to link to um, a survey that Kaysen's going to post in the chat box. Um, and basically, this, uh, this link is going to take you to a brief questionnaires. It's not about research. It's just getting everybody's opinion on what you want to talk about in the future if you want to do this again um, and um, share some resources again you can uh, there's a function there that you can drop in uh, documents to share um, another shortcut for that would be just to go to the Google Drive and drop them in there but we want to really hear back and obviously you know the vast majority of you stayed around for the whole time so uh, it seems like you were at least getting something from this um, and so I think uh, I'm going to move it over to uh, Chad here to close it out. Thanks, everybody. So this was it. What a great gathering, uh, 150 people for an hour and a half. Um, this really just demonstrates the value that, of the community that we have and how we can support each other. Um, the, the, the ideas that we all heard are creative. You know, some of them are context-based, but I think we can all take something from this and maybe think to the future that we don't have to wait till Shape America or ARA to talk with each other. Like Risto said, there might be value in having future sessions related just to research or related to EdTPA and uh, what effective online teaching even looks like. Um, so I think that this first meeting was, was an overwhelming success. Uh, we're thankful. I'm thankful for all the things that I've learned and, and hopefully you all found value in this as well. So um, it's great to meet everyone virtually and, and hopefully we can see each other soon again. Great. I just want to jump in real quick about distributing of information before Jamie closes and I'm going to be really quick. I'm just going to say that this is organic. We just had this conversation. So we're going to compile everything. We have a survey that was just mentioned that you can add and get more involved in the research side or the field based side. We have a Google, everything's going to, and we're also going to compile links and Anything you sent us in the chat, we're going to do our best to get that organized and sent out to you. You should get the survey and Google uh, Drive link uh, today or tomorrow, and then we'll work on everything else and send you the video. We just want to let you know this was organic, and it's coming. We'll get it all to you. And share, share, share. Thank you so much, and thank you to everybody who was involved. And um, I did see at one point there was 158 folks. Um, in here, which is just amazing and shows that we do have this sense of community. I think in higher ed, we can be really siloed sometimes and even thinking about competing for students and different things. And so to be able to come together in this format in such a supportive um, and 
um, and positive manner. I think um, just kudos to all of you um, for, for taking the time out of your day today and, and joining us. Um, please do be on the lookout either through social media and email and different avenues um, for the content for today. Um, if you can, before you close out, head into the chat and click on that link or, or copy and paste that link to the survey that Kaysen just mentioned. Um, we'd be really grateful for that um, because we do want this to be something that we can potentially continue um, because I think this is a great opportunity for us to come together. And while it was um, uh, born out of potentially challenging times, um, we now know we can do it. So um, let's keep connecting um, in these ways. So. I also should have acknowledged at the beginning um, that I hope you are all safe and well. Um, and you know, I, I, I hope that by you being here shows that hopefully you are, um, but continue to um, maintain um, your wellness and your health, um, not only mentally um, and physically, but you know, emotionally and make sure that you continue to take care of yourselves um, through these challenging times. So with that, we're a few minutes over, which I think is actually really good given we had 150 academics on this call. So um, thank you all for your participation um, and take care of yourselves.